First John chapter four, as we continue our series in the book of First John. First John chapter four, and I was sharing with someone on our staff this morning that there's no way I could have ever planned this to fall when it did, but what we're going to talk about tonight is really a great lead-in, if you will, or introduction, or whatever maybe word would be better than that, to the new series that, that's going to be starting here on Sunday called Fallen. And uh, before we read the passage we're going to be diving into tonight, I'd just like to remind us of the context of why is John now all of a sudden talking about this. Remember at the end of chapter 3, he reminds us that God, God, resides in us through the Holy Spirit that He has given to us. God lives in us as Christians through the person of the Holy Spirit. So with that statement about the Spirit of God, follow along as I read the first six verses of 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world's perspective and the world listens to them. We are from God. The person who knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit or error. Now, before we go back up to the beginning of this chapter... John ends verse 6 with really the reason that he wrote this passage along with what he said at the end of chapter 3. And that is that we are in a spiritual conflict. That, That whether we believe it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we own it or not, whether we want to be a part of it or not, we as human beings are engaged in a great spiritual conflict or war. It is, it is God and really Satan and the forces of evil. And coming from God is the spirit of truth. The truth that Jesus said will set men and women free. Free to become all that God created us to be and desired for us to be. But coming from Satan and the forces of evil is the spirit of deceit or error. And so he says, this is why I write this to you. In fact, notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, he starts off by saying, Dear friends, 
Because besides the Spirit of God motivating John to write this, he is a pastor who's concerned about the spiritual well-being of this flock. And he feels very much compelled and motivated to warn them about this conflict and what is involved in this conflict so that they will not become casualties in the conflict. That just like in any war, there's always casualties. I'm very much aware of that. As many of you know, I am a Civil War buff. Part of the reason why is I grew up very near the Civil War battlefields of both Gettysburg and Antietam. And even 150, almost 150 years after those battles, you can step on those battlefields and you can sense the loss, the lives that were lost, the casualties on those battlefields. In fact, the Battle of Antietam, September 17th, was the bloodiest day on American soil. He says, dear friends, this is very important. Because in any battle, in any war, in any conflict, there's going to be casualties. And I don't want you, and looking down the quarters of time, John did not want us to become a casualty in this conflict. So notice, he says, dear friends, here's the first way I can prevent myself from being a casualty in this conflict of good and evil Truth and deceit. Do not believe every spirit. Now, I probably also just need to take a moment and and say, obviously, too, as I've said before, we live in a world where there's a lot of people that don't even believe in absolute truth. And there are people today that don't believe in evil at all. I personally believe that They have become deceived and they've become a casualty because they deny the existence of the things that God reveals in his word that are real and that are truth. In fact, Jesus himself, the son of God, believed in evil. He believed in a personal devil. You cannot read and study the gospels and not come to that conclusion. So, If you're going to believe that Jesus is this good person, this great example, this very wise philosopher or whatever, then if you don't buy what he says about Satan and evil, then you also have to conclude at some point that he's all mixed up and washed up and really a liar. So John says to us, dear friends, Do not believe every spirit. Again, remember the context is he's just told us the Spirit of God lives within every Christian. But that doesn't mean that God wants us to go through life, to go through this world and just be gullible and just believe everything that even people who claim to come in the name of God are saying. See, God wants His children to be critical thinkers. Many people get the misunderstanding that when they become a Christian, that somehow God wants them to shut their brain off and just blindly follow Him and and be sort of like a a spiritual zombie, I guess, or something, and just, yeah, God would... No. 
God, remember, God's the one who created us in the first place, and He did create us with a brain, and I think that's why God created us with a brain. He wants us to use our brain, and He wants Christians to be critical thinkers, to evaluate, discriminate, and discern everything that we hear and that we take in. That's why He said, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to determine if they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we could spend a whole night just on this verse, but I I, want to get through these six verses tonight. So here's one of the things that we need to point out. John is making a really important statement here. He's saying to the people even in his day, you're going to have human beings come to you who claim to be spokespeople for God. And they're going to say, this is a message from God to you, and here's what God said. And whether they are from God or not, the point that I want to make at this point, that John's making here in verse 1, is that there's also, good or bad, a spirit, if you will, behind the human messenger. Behind the human spokesman, there is always a spirit. And according to the Bible, that spirit can only come from one of two sources or directions. Either that is the spirit of God that is motivating, energizing, equipping, and whatever, this spokesman who claims to be from God... Or there is a demonic spirit, if you will, a spirit of error, a spirit of deceit that is motivating, energizing, and equipping the spokesman. And and in John's day, it was no different than in our day. John isn't talking about somebody out there, like for instance in history, like an Anton LaVey who started the first church of Satan and tries to get people to follow him and all of that. No, John is talking about false prophets, and false prophets are pseudo-prophets or counterfeit prophets. He knows that we're probably going to be smart enough to be able to tell the difference between a person who's in the church of Satan and, and what God wants to say. But he says, we've got to be more critical than that. Because throughout our life, we're going to hear people on television who write books, who stand in pulpits or on stages or whatever, in churches and auditoriums all across the country throughout our life, who say, you need to listen to me because I'm speaking for God. And he says, just because they claim that doesn't mean a thing. He says, God has given every Christian the equipment, the skill, the resources, and the responsibility to make sure that we test everything that we take in and that we hear, regardless of who it comes from. In fact, Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, he said, if I come back to you in Galatia, or an angel from heaven was to descend to the churches in Galatia and preach another gospel other than the one you already accepted, let him be accursed. That's what Paul said. See, it doesn't matter how it's packaged, Paul said, because that's part of what trips us up. That's part of the deceit. Is we look at the outward packaging and we're going, well, you know, they're nice. They seem pretty sincere. 
They said they went to Bible college or seminary. You know, they say they love God. So what they must be telling us must be from God. No, no. John says, folks, always test the Spirit to determine if what you and I are hearing truly is what God has said. And again, this isn't a message just to pastors or Bible teachers. This is a responsibility that every Christian has. I think it's really cool, since we've called this Bible study on Tuesday night, The Mind, that the word test in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 4 is a metallurgist term. It was used by people who dug for metal, precious metal, and handled metal as they tested the metals to see how valuable they were. Would these metals stack up, or are these things that I just need to throw away? Is this, is this a real gem, or is this something that looks good, but there's no value there? That's the word test. See, that, that's what we're to do, even as miners. That we're not only just to hear the Word of God and take it in, but that what we do hear and take in, we all need to test it. And John's going to tell us how we do that tonight. And I'm going to even give you some personal thoughts on that as well. How do I test the spirits? But the important thing at this point in the passage is just the idea that God wants us to critically think about everything we hear and take in before we just say, yep, I buy that. God wants us to be discerning Christians, able to differentiate what we hear and is this truly coming from God or not. Even in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Luke, the writer of Acts, commends a group of Christians in Berea. And the reason he commends them is because even the great Paul and Silas were sent by God to Berea to preach. And the Bible says that God commended them in Berea because after they heard even Paul and Silas preach about Christ, they went home, took their own scriptures, and made sure that everything they heard in church that morning is really what God said. They studied it out for themselves. And the Bible says they were commended for that. Because they weren't just taking Paul's word for it or Silas's word for it. They were going to check it out and make sure that's what God said. That's testing the spirits. I'll just share with you. And again, what works for you, you need to keep doing. But I know for me, over the years, what I do is say even on a Sunday, if I listen to, to Lynn or Paul or Jeff or someone else here at Cornerstone, or I hear a message on television, or I listen to something on video or whatever, I usually never take notes or anything. I listen to what they're saying, what passage or verses they're using, and then I will go home and I will study it out for myself and say, is that really what God is saying there? Folks, that's what John means by testing the spirits to determine if they are from God. And and folks, 
not just because many false prophets have gone out into the world, but let's, let's also say this in the context. Those of us who even are trying to do it right, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to land on it right. Now, we're held responsible for that. And God expects us to do enough study that we better get it right because we're teaching and we're going to be held more responsible. But even at that, we're still human. And that's why we should all say to those who listen to us, don't take my word for it. You go home and you study it for yourself to make sure that's what God is saying. That's what John says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Now again, really important, folks. Every human being who supposedly speaks for God, whether they are true or not, they have a spirit behind them. Again, whether we believe that or not, want to agree with that or not, that's what the Bible says. There is a spirit behind every preacher, every Bible teacher, every spokesperson. It's either the spirit of truth or it is the spirit of error. There is no in-between. There is no, no, because if it's error at all, it's error. And so John is telling us, let's critically think about what we're hearing. Let's not just accept it blindly. Let's evaluate it and like a metallurgist, let's test the metal to make sure it really is what they say it is. And then once we have determined that it is truth, then folks, you have God's permission and John's permission and certainly my permission to latch a hold of it and live it out. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 John and let me show you where that's found. Go back to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Again, I don't want you to think, well, that's what Jeff said, but maybe that's not in the Bible. I don't know whether I trust that guy or not. He looks a little shady. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says, examine all things. And as I share with folks all the time in my Bible studies, all means all, and that's all all means. So when the Bible says to us as Christians, examine all things, that's what he means. And notice in the context though, verse 21, hold fast to what is good. Once you and I have tested it, once that teaching, that book, that video, that CD, that 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 sermon, that talk, whatever you want to call it, once it passes that test and we say, yes, God, that is exactly what you have said. That is true. Then the Bible says, then hold fast to it. Then base your life on it. Live it. Once you have determined it's true, hold fast to it. Then notice verse 22. Stay away from every form of evil. See, in the context too, Paul's saying the same thing as John, that it can be packaged so well. Because let's face it, our spiritual enemy is pretty intelligent. Not all intelligent, like God by any stretch of the but he's pretty intelligent. More intelligent, I think, than we are. 
And so many times again, he will package his false doctrine, his false prophets in such a way that we get lost in the package. And we're not able to see past the package to the reality of what people are saying, what they're really saying, because we're enamored with the packaging. Now, if we doubt that, folks, why do we in our society spend millions of dollars or why do they spend millions of dollars every year on advertising to us? Because they know we, we know all about the packaging. They, they spend lots of money in marketing and advertising to try to package things a certain way to get us to buy into it. And that's exactly what our spiritual enemy will do. That's why Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, it doesn't matter what the package is. It doesn't matter how it comes across. It doesn't matter how positive it may seem. Does it line up with Scripture? Is it really what God has said, regardless of what it sounds like? Let me go back to the Bible and see if it is real. In fact, while we're out of 1 John for a moment, let's go back to this passage in 2 Corinthians that I think we just need to be reminded of again at this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 13. Verses I think I read just a couple weeks ago, but it doesn't hurt to go back and be reminded of these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Talking about, even in this context, false apostles... Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, so again, Paul is saying, be careful of the packaging. Because Satan's not going to come at us as Satan. And by the way, especially since we just got over Halloween and all that, you realize Satan isn't a guy dressed up in a red outfit, right? With a pitchfork, with pointy ears and a long... I hope Satan doesn't look like that. In fact, if Satan is going to manifest himself at all, he's going to come at us as an angel of light. Good. Because again, he understands if I come at them as evil, they're going to recognize it. So I've got to be deceitful. We live in the world of scams, don't we? People just, very intelligent people get scammed all the time. Look at all the very intelligent people just in this last year in America who've gotten ripped off. Not because they were dumb or unintelligent or whatever, they, they just, they got fooled. And and if we don't think that somehow we can get fooled, whether it's in the world or spiritually, I think we're setting ourselves up for being a casualty. So back to 1 John chapter 4. Test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets who will look like ministers of righteousness. Now, here's the criteria for how I can begin to discern. He says, verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's how you and I as Christians can begin to unravel whether it's of God or it's not of God. 
Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. Now, we don't have time tonight to completely dissect what John just said there. But suffice it to say that I think if you study this out, what you will find is simply this in summary. That one of the bases for our test of whether someone's from God or not is what do they think about Jesus? And not just, oh yeah, I think Jesus is pretty cool. I think he was a good guy. But that they get it absolutely right on exactly who Jesus is. That he is the Christ, which means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was promised in the Old Testament, came in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross as the Lamb of God who knew no sin to take away our sin and to give us His righteousness. That's the Jesus that John is talking about. And then notice uh, John also says that it's got to be right on His makeup. That yes, He is 100% God, but that He's also 100% human. And down through history, even in John's day, they were messing up the nature of Jesus. There were cults, there were false prophets that would always try to tweak and twist who Jesus is. So some would come along and say, well, Jesus was here in spirit, but he wasn't here bodily. Which is part of the reason why in the gospel that we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians 15, the point is Jesus Christ died bodily. He rose bodily. There's an important part there. And if people are going to deny that Jesus Christ was 100% human, they're taking away from the truth that God has given in His Word. And that's not coming from God. That twisting of who Jesus is and his character is coming from Satan. Because anything that Satan can do to mess up who Jesus really is, they become a casualty in this conflict. See, that's, that's why John doesn't spend all this time on all this side stuff that many times even you and I get caught up in, arguing or debating with other people about different religions and denominations. and He just, it's all about Christ to him. Because if they get it right with Christ, then we can talk about everything else. But if they don't get it right about Christ, that's where it all starts. Because that's, that's what it is for us. That's why we call ourselves, I think, Christians. Because for us, it's all about Christ. He's our Lord and Savior. And even to come to a saving knowledge of him and and enter into a relationship with God, i got to get it right about Christ. I can't deny in any way His deity or His humanity. If He wasn't human, then how could He, you know, come and, and literally die on the cross for me if He really wasn't human? And if he, if he had any less deity than what He had, then was His death really sufficient to pay for my sin? You see, any... Any difference there, any deviation in what God has said in the Bible about Jesus Christ messes people up. And that's why John says, there's the test. That's why Jesus even turned to his disciples when they were following him and says, who do you, who do you think I am? 
And you remember his disciples said, well, some people think you're Elijah come back from the dead. Some people think you're the prophet Jeremiah raised from the dead. Others think you're, you and John the Baptist are the same person. You just sort of show up in different places. And Jesus turned to them and said, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father revealed that to you from heaven. We've got to get it right about Jesus. See, yes, Satan will play with a lot of different stuff, but the one person, the the, the one person that he hates more than anything else, more than anyone else in this universe, I believe, is Jesus Christ. And he will do everything he can to demean, to dethrone, to, to, to mess up human beings and their concept and understanding of who Jesus is. That Jesus Christ is God who loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his own life for us. So notice he goes on in verse 3 to say, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John says, I don't care what package they use, how sincere they are, how spiritual they sound, whatever. If they don't get Jesus right as far as how Jesus is revealed in the Word of God, that's not coming from God. And notice he goes on to say also this in verse 3. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Again, remember too, Antichrist doesn't just mean against Christ, it means instead of Christ. And so the spirit of Antichrist is anything that will not only demean, dethrone, mix up who Jesus really is, but also be a substitute for Jesus. And notice something very interesting. John says even in verse 1 John 4, 3, the spirit of Antichrist that you heard is coming. Oh, my friends, it's already here. Folks, that was 2,000 years ago when he wrote that. So if the spirit of Antichrist was already here when John wrote this 2,000 years ago, it's also here today. See, again, even Christians get all enamored on the Antichrist and who's the Antichrist and we've got to identify the Antichrist and whatever. Folks, again, my personal belief, the Antichrist isn't going to be revealed to we're in heaven anyway. I'm not caught up on who the Antichrist is. If I realize that the Bible teaches the spirit of the Antichrist is already present, that's what I should be concerned about because it's already at work. The spirit of Antichrist and deceit and lies and untruth and false prophecy and all of that, it's already here. So again, if we're just enamored on who this one Antichrist is, we're playing right into Satan's hands because we're missing the fact that the spirit that's going to drive the Antichrist to come on the world scene one day is already here anyway. The foundation is already being laid, folks. We live in a world of deception and deceit. And God is calling Christians like never before to be discerning. To test the spirits. Verse 4. You are from God. 
little children. I love that. Aren't we all from God? Didn't God create us all? Yes, he did. But here he's talking about those who are born from above, as Jesus said, born from the spirit, born of God. And who are willing to take our stand with God and say, I stand with God, I stand with truth. And John is encouraging us here. Because up to this point we may say, whoa, <laughs> wow, this is a little intimidating. I, 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 this, is, this is bigger than me. Yes, it is. But notice what John says. You are from God, little children, and have conquered them. Who's the them? I believe the false teachers that were in John's day. And how were they able to conquer these false teachers and differentiate when the false was out there and so that they weren't suckers and and took in what the false prophets were spreading around in their day? How could they overcome? How could they have that kind of insight and discernment? Here's how. Because the one who is in you, who we've already identified in this book and in this passage is the Holy Spirit of God is greater than the one who is in the world. That's all we need to know. That's why God gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because that Holy Spirit of God that lives within every Christian is all we need if we're paying attention to the Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're being led by the Spirit. Or up to this point, if in our study of 1 John, if we're in fellowship with God, we have everything we need to make sure that we don't become a casualty. And even to the point where, like John says, you and I can overcome them, no matter how they package it, no matter how clever they are, no matter how many times they come at us, that because the one in you and in me is greater than them, and even the them going by them to, to Satan himself and all the demonic realm and all of that, that still the one who resides in us is greater than them all combined. And that's why we can overcome. See, you, you and I don't need to, to hear a message like this and, and get all upset that, that somehow we're in this and it just, we resign ourselves to being a casualty. No. God gives us every resource, everything we need to be able to stand tall and to stand up to all the deception out there, all the deceit, all the untruth, and be able to get through and not become a casualty. You and I can overcome them because we have to keep relying upon the Holy Spirit. That's part of why John wrote it's so important to stay in fellowship with God. Because as you and I stay in fellowship with God, we are walking in tune with the Spirit to such a degree that I believe even we can get to the point in our walk with God where we don't necessarily even have to take our Bibles and open it up and even spend a lot of time studying it to make sure it's right. We can be out somewhere, or we can start reading a book, or we can be listening to some Bible teacher somewhere or something, and they can say something that goes against what the Bible says, and the Spirit of God will just go, uh-uh, no, that, that doesn't sit with me. That's not right. 
And we might want to spend some time studying it to find out why it's not right. But the Spirit of God will stir up our spirit and go, no, no, that, no that's, that's not what God's saying. So then he goes on in verse 5 and 6 to say, They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world's perspective and the world listens to them. But we are from God. The person who knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. It really is about the spirit and how the spirit can help. In fact, I want to read this passage to you quickly tonight. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 that There are things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined. Things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. See, how do I understand the Bible? How do I know what's true and what's not true? The Spirit of God. He goes on to say, who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That's how we can know the things of God. Because the Spirit of God, as Jesus said in John 16, is the Spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. This is why Jesus said, it's to your advantage I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And He's going to be in you and dwell in you forever. And He will guide you and lead you. And keep you from being a casualty in this conflict between truth and error. By the way, I love that where John says, we know the spirit of of a human being because we're a human being. We get other humans because we have a common spirit. When you and I look or interact with things that aren't exactly like us, they have a different spirit. And we can't quite connect. I mean, can to a point. Let me give you an example. And please, I love dogs. I've had dogs all my life. There's that moment, though, where you look at the dog and the dog cocks its head and, and you're like, I wonder what you're thinking right now. And if I had the spirit of a dog, I probably would understand what you're thinking right now as you look at me like that. But I don't have the spirit of a dog, so I don't quite get... You know, obviously... Humans and animals and stuff, we can connect on some levels, but there's some levels we can't. Because I don't have the spirit of a dog, but I can connect to other, I can get other human beings because we have the same spirit. Paul is just simply saying that's how we can get God. Because if I have the spirit of God in me, then I have a connection to be able to understand God on a level I never did before I had his spirit. Before I forget, and here's what I'm going to do. I will share these with you tonight and I will make them available on pieces of paper out there for any of you that are interested next week. So don't try to take notes if you want to. I'm going to give you seven tests that I personally use to determine whether the Spirit is from God or not in my own life. Number one, how does the teaching affect my relationship with God? Is he magnified, glorified, 
or diminished in any way. That's the first test for me. Again, besides the test that John gave us about what do they think about Jesus. Number two, the second test for me is how does the teaching affect my attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it magnify him and give him first place? Or does it subtly shift my focus onto myself or some experience? Number three, how does the teaching affect my attitude toward Scripture? Did the teaching come from and agree with the Word? Does it increase my love for the Word of God? Number four, how does the teaching affect my self-life? Does it feed self or crucify it? Does it feed pride or humility? Number five, how does the teaching affect my relationships to other Christians? Does it cause me to withdraw, find fault, and exalt myself in superiority? Or does it lead me to genuine love for all that truly know Christ? Number six, how does the teaching affect my relationship to the world system? Does it lead me to pursue pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Does it lead me to pursue worldly riches, reputation, and pleasures? Or does it crucify the world to me? And number seven, how does the teaching affect my attitude towards sin? Does it cause me to tolerate sin in my life or to turn from it and grow in holiness? Any teaching that makes holiness more acceptable and sin more intolerable is genuine. And these are the tests that I use in my own life to test the spirits, whether they are from God. Folks, again, I know that nothing feel good about this message, but very necessary. We live in a world of deception. And I believe that the deception is going to continue to increase until Jesus comes. And we as Christians, as the church, not just here at Cornerstone Chandler, but all over the world, need to rise up Get serious, get committed, stop being so neutral, and really recognize how important it is that we grow in our discernment and stay in touch with God at all times so that we can test the spirits, everything that we're hearing and seeing and taking in so that we can determine whether these are really from God or not. There's probably not a person in this room tonight That if we were honest, we would say that there was at least one time in our life where we listened to something that wasn't of God, that wasn't biblical, and it blew up our life. Because, see, God understands the importance of doctrine, of truth. Because we live in a world, ah, doctrine's not important, truth, whatever we want it to be. But God understands that if I don't have an understanding of doctrine, of scripture, of truth, it will negatively affect my life. But if I have a right understanding of scripture and truth and doctrine, my life will be so much better. That's why God said my people, speaking of the Jews in the Old Testament, are being destroyed because of their lack of knowledge. Not because they couldn't know, because they didn't want to know the truth. And God said there's coming a day where there's going to be a famine. Not a famine of bread, 
Not a famine of meat and vegetables and fruit, but a famine of the Word of God, where people will want desperately to know what God said. And there won't be many people around to even share it with them or teach it because the Word of God will be so diminished. Folks, one thing I think we need to do is we lift Christ up when we lift His Word up. When we honor this book, when we respect the Bible. I even grew up in a church which, I'm not saying that that's the way we should do it or whatever, but it did help me to get a healthy respect for the Bible. I grew up in a church where every time we opened the Bible, where the pastor, before he would start preaching, would just read the passage before he started like I do many times, where the whole congregation stood as the Bible was read. We didn't stand to honor the human guy or anything else. We stood because we realized this isn't the words of men. This is the words of God. And we need to honor it, respect it, live by it, embrace it, study it. And I thank you for your commitment to that tonight as well. Before I let you go, Just a couple reminders for those of you that weren't here at the very beginning. Two weeks from tonight, November 17th, we're having a night of worship at the mine. I will be speaking, but it won't be an hour. It will be abbreviated, but it's going to be a great night. If you were here last year, oh my golly, I think there was like like 600 people here last year for that, and it was an amazing night. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think it's a night you're going to want to miss. So put that on your calendar. Also, next Tuesday, November the 10th, I'm just asking all of you here in the mind, because you guys are my church, you know, the group that I meet with on a weekly basis. Um, I'm going to ask you to consider next Tuesday, November 10th, being a day of prayer for you and for me. I'm going to be here all day around the church campus, praying, whatever, And I'm just going to ask, would would you all join me? And maybe you can't come to the church campus next Tuesday, but wherever you are, I'm just going to ask, could we as the mind just sort of come together and and pray? And you say, what do we pray about? I, I just feel like right now God is calling me to just desperately seek him. To, to come in contrition and humility and brokenness and cry out to God and say, God, I need you. We need you. Help. Whatever that looks like, that's next Tuesday. I'm also going to ask that as you come to the mine, if you come a little bit early, to just come in a, in a spirit of prayer and maybe come a few minutes early. And if you do come, to just come and sit in the seat and, and maybe spend some time in prayer before the mine next Tuesday night as well. And then, as I said, we've got some great resources that I've given to the bookstore with Jason over there that he'd be glad to help you out on our new series coming up called Fallen. Books like The Invisible War by Chip Ingram, uh, The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wearsby, Angels, Elect and Evil by C. Fred Dickinson, as well as others. If you'd like to pick those up, you're going to get a head start on some of those that don't even hear about those till Sunday. And then the other thing for you gals is the Anita Renfro thing coming up on Saturday the 14th. 
I just encourage you to think about coming to that. I think she'd be a great encouragement to you. Again, tickets, you can get them at the bookstore or online, cornerstonechandler.com. Guys, I just want to thank you for your prayers. I, many of you have come up to me lately. How are you doing? We're praying for you, Pastor Jeff, whatever. Just know that doesn't go just in one ear and out the other. I so appreciate that. And just keep praying for me and for us. And, and let's just pray for each other. And let's just seek the face of God. I shared with our staff today, I said, you know what? One thing about God that we all learn, sometimes the hard way in our lives, there's times in our life where when God wants to get our undivided attention, either individually or corporately, he can get it. I mean, just like that. Like all of a sudden, God's not that important or I'm not that focused on God and then something happens or whatever and all of a sudden oh my goodness god i'm just i'm just focused right now on you and uh i think that's where he wants to get me i think that's where he wants to get our staff our church is he wants our undivided attention right now and i'm just asking that all of us would just come together and seek god maybe in a way we never have before. Thank you all for being here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed.